The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Hey, good morning, church. If you are using the Bible under the chair in front of you, you can find today's passage on page 423. Uh, But either way, once you've found Psalm 15 in your copy of Scripture, if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. It says, Who shall dwell on your holy hill? A Psalm of David. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. This is the reading of God's word. Please be seated. I'd like to invite up Mr. Brian Hubert uh, to share God's word. Uh, Brian and I, yeah, yeah, it's okay to cheer. That's all right. They turned the heat on when I preached last week. AC for this guy. I just want that to... You've got to know so, people. Yeah, yeah. So Brian and I go way back. Um, I first met him in fourth grade in Beneld, Illinois. Uh, I remember every day at around 10, 15, uh, we would get a snack break, and I remember hanging out at our desk. I drank chocolate milk. I don't... I probably went chocolate milk. Chocolate milk, milk yeah. And um, we would have snacks and stuff. Does it look like I drink anything? <laughs> Besides <laughs> chocolate milk. So uh, we, we would tell jokes and stuff, and, and um, he would always laugh at my jokes, and I'm like, wow, I like this kid. Um, like, I think, I think I see potential here, you know? So here we are 28 years later, About that. 28 years later, and I like him even more. Okay. <laughs> Not because he still laughs at my jokes, but because he's a humble man of God, because he loves his wife dearly and because he guides his children in the ways of the Lord and because he serves his church with wisdom. So I want to pray for you and then you can share God's word. God, you know that Brian has prayed and studied in preparation for this moment. Open our hearts to hear your words through him. Quiet our minds so that we can focus. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Chance. Well, good morning, uh, Delta. Um, I am a father of three kids, and I have a fourth on the way in June sometime. And uh, yeah, in Audrey is nine years old, but it's, if I can think, uh, I can remember a time before we had kids. Uh, Amanda was working, I was working, we had two incomes, didn't have kids, and so we had a little extra, extra money to throw around. And uh, before we started uh, trying for kids, Amanda was a teacher, and during one of the summers we decided we would take uh, a trip, kind of a last hurrah. We always wanted to go to Europe, so we went to Italy um, in 2012. Fist bump from Charles. Uh, fist pump. Thank you, sir. Uh, we went to Italy, and it was an awesome trip. Um, it was personal, too. My grandfather was from Italy. He was from a very small town in the north of Italy, like almost French border. I never knew my grandpa. He passed away before I was born. I knew his brothers. 
Um, and I didn't know a whole lot about the area, but we knew the small town he was from. I can find it on, on Google Earth, etc. So we're like, well, we're over in Italy. It's off the beaten path, but we got to go there at least look around, say hey. So the train goes there, but I think it would have taken like, it would have been probably an all-day trip because of how kind of backwater it is. So we decided to rent a car. And if you've never rented a car in a foreign country, it's a little little different driving-wise. We were in a smart car. You know a smart car? So that's all they had that was a, an automatic. So we rented a smart car. Uh, so we had to go to the airport in Genoa to rent a car to drive up to where my grandfather was from. So we reserved a car online. And I get to the airport, to the car counter, and there's one guy working. I don't know his name, but let's call him Giuseppe. Good Italian name. So Giuseppe's there. Tell him, give him our confirmation number, tell him who we are. He, he checks us in. Everything's good. Now, this is before everyone and their brother had an iPhone or a smartphone. Um, so we wanted, we knew we could get a GPS. We could rent a GPS from the car place, but we couldn't reserve one ahead of time. And so as Giuseppe's checking us in, I say, oh, also, we would like to, uh, to rent a GPS. And Giuseppe, in his best English, goes, I quote, I'm a finished with the GPS. Which translated to normal English means, I'm out of GPSs. So Giuseppe, who's finished with the GPS, uh, in an attempt of kindness. Now, Italy's a big country, right? It's, it's long. I just mapped it out. It's like going from southern Illinois all the way up to like the tip of Wisconsin. And so we were trying to find a, a town that was probably like the size of, of, of Athens, you know, and it's kind of off the beaten path. Giuseppe goes behind the counter and he pulls out a map this big of all of Italy. Not very helpful. Like, I would have been more served by, like, the pizza box map of Italy uh, where I was going. So we're, we're like, well, thanks, Giuseppe, but I needed a GPS. Long story short, going to make this super condensed. Uh, we eventually got to where we're going. We picked up a map. There were tears along the way. Not my tears, Amanda's tears. She doesn't like navigating, let alone in a foreign country where she doesn't understand what the map's saying. Not neither of us really understood. But we got to where we were going. Now, what does Giuseppe, being finished with a GPS, have to do with Psalm 15? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> See, it's, it's in a way similar to the Christian life. So we as Christians, we should have the desire to honor the Lord, to do what is right. We should want to please the Lord. But how do we know where we want to, we know where we want to go, we know that we want to please the Lord, but how do we get there? So we need a, a map, so to speak. We need a road map. We need a GPS. We need instruction, direction, and guidance to know how to please the Lord. I mean, just think about it. If you didn't have the, the Bible, like how would you know what the Lord requires of us? But thankfully, God in his mercy and his grace and his kindness has given us his word. He's given us scripture so that we know how we should live our lives. That's where Psalm 15 comes in. If you look at this, these verses that Dan read... Psalm chapter 15, they describe what, uh, someone described this as an ideal worshiper. So I'm going to use that language, the ideal worshiper. What does the Lord want his worshipers to do? What does he want them to look like? So Psalm 15 talks not, so the Old Testament, right? A lot about worship, especially first five books of the Bible, um, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, a lot of God saying, here's how I want you to worship me. 
But Psalm 15 doesn't deal with those external matters. It deals with the character of the worshiper. Psalm 15 talks about the character of the worshiper, and we'll see that there is an emphasis on community. There's a lot of things that Psalm 15 says that the, uh, the, the believer should do, but they're almost all uh, in relation to how he, treats, how he treats others. So my main point this morning is this. What I think we'll see in Psalm 15 is that the ideal worshiper, the ideal worshiper, seeks personal holiness, and that holiness benefits others. The ideal worshiper seeks personal holiness, and that holiness benefits others. So the psalm starts with a rhetorical question. Verse 1, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? So who can sojourn in your tent? This question isn't about camping. It's not, I mean, we hear tent, we think camping. What this is talking about it's a question that asks, who can come and worship before the Lord? So if you think about the word tent, back in the Old Testament, there was the temple, right? Before the temple was uh, built, there was the tent. It was God's, God is everywhere. He is omnipresent, but it was God's special, his special presence was there, I think we could say. It's where humans, where Israel went to go meet with God. And we have to remember what worship was like in the Old Testament. There were very specific regulations. And it was based on a sacrificial system. Sinful man had to offer sacrifices to atone for sin. It was based on cleanliness and prerequisites for worship. And it was often focused on location. So Israel would go up to the tent. They would go up the holy hill uh, to meet with the Lord. So the psalmist is asking in verse 1, who can come? Who is the ideal worshiper? And the rest of the text is the answer. Let's look at verse 2. Who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Answer. Verse 2. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. So my second point. The ideal worshiper desires to live rightly. God wants his worshipers to live a life of goodness and holiness, a life that honors the Lord, one that is free from blame and focused on righteous living. The ideal worshiper cares about his life. He cares about what he does, and he cares about doing good. He follows God's commands, which keep him free from the blame of others. He seeks to do right in all areas of life. He is truthful, he speaks the truth, and he avoids falsehood. And I think this could be a summary statement, right? Who can dwell in God's tent? Who can climb? Who can uh, dwell on his holy hill? The one who is blameless, who does what is right, who is truthful. And I think the rest of this text describe that person. So what is the one who walks blamelessly, does what is right, and speaks honestly? What do they do? And we look at verses 2 and 3. Excuse me, 3. The person who walks blamelessly, does what is right, speaks truth in his heart. It's the one who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. So my second point is this. The ideal worshiper promotes peace. 
And that's found in verse 3. The ideal worshiper promotes peace. These verses, just like the others, focus on relationship with others. The text says that this person doesn't slander. And what is slander? It's saying something false about someone else behind their back. He doesn't talk ill of others. He doesn't lie about them behind their back. He doesn't start the fire of gossip. And he doesn't cut people down with his words. It says he does no evil to his neighbor. He, this person lives peaceably with those around him. And he desires good for his neighbor. And he doesn't take up a reproach against his friend. The man is good to those close to him. He doesn't bring a disgrace upon his friends. So it's almost like concentric circles. Like he doesn't slander, so he just doesn't talk about anyone bad things. He doesn't do things, bad things to his neighbor. He doesn't talk evil of his neighbor. And he won't bring approach upon those, those close to him. So the ideal worshiper is the one who walks blamelessly, does what is right, and he promotes peace. He promotes peace. And we go to verse 4. Who is this who is blameless, does what is right, speaks truth? Who is the ideal worshiper? In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord? Thirdly, the ideal worshiper encourages holiness in others. Now, when we read this verse, when I read this at first, like it was a little, a little shocking. We read this verse, and it says, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. So this blameless person, this righteous person, this ideal worshiper, the text says that this ideal person despises people. And who do they despise? They despise the vile. Like that's, that's an interesting, interesting concept. Like Especially we fast forward to the New Testament and think how Jesus cared for others, even those who were opposed to him. Um, but the text says that the, the righteous person, he despises the vile. What I think this means, I think there's a twofold sense to this. Despising a vile person, this, this doesn't mean, I don't think this means hating them. I think it means despising the things that they do not wanting their way of life, not seeing that a vile person's way of life is attractive, not being jealous of that vile person's sin or their easy way of living, their worldly pleasures, etc. So I think it's saying that the, the righteous, blameless, ideal worshiper, that he despises the vile person, he despises that vile person's way of life. But also I think the second sense is this, that he doesn't encourage the vile person in their path. And he doesn't approve of their behavior. So the text says the righteous person will despise a vile person. But contrary to that, it says that this man will honor those who fear the Lord. Honors the one who does what is right. And I think that's an encouragement. They are encouraging, the, the righteous man is encouraging those who are fearing the Lord, honoring the Lord, trying to do, to do what is right. So summarizing this, the ideal worshiper is the one who walks blamelessly and does what is right, and he encourages holiness in others in the sense that he encourages holiness in the vile person, like, I'm going to dis despise what you're doing, and I'm encouraging holiness in, in the people who are trying to live a good and right and God-honoring life. And we move on to my fourth point. We read in the second half of verse 4, 
This person swears not to his own hurt and does not change. Who does not put his money out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. So my fourth point, the ideal worshiper seeks fairness and justice above personal gain. The ideal worshiper seeks fairness and justice above personal gain. And I, I stole this right from the ESV Study Bible. The ESV Study Bible summarized this, that this person seeks justice above personal gain. I think that's a great encapsulation of what is this saying. This is saying, or if you put this another way, the ideal worshiper, he forsakes greed uh, and he doesn't let greed dictate his actions. He almost forsakes his own self-interest for the well-being of others. And the ideal worshiper, he swears to his own hurt. This man keeps his word and if he breaks his promise, it hurts him. Next, it says he doesn't put his money out at interest. So I don't know, I was trying to think, I don't know if we have any bankers here, any bankers in the house. You could breathe easily, this is not talking about you. You know, what do bankers do? They lend money and they charge, charge interest, right? So this, this isn't talking about commercial banking or personal lending from a bank, but what it is, it's a prohibition against taking advantage of the poor and needy for your own, own gain, own gain. Say it again. It's about take, it's a prohibition against taking advantage of the poor and needy for your own gain. So I'm not 100% sure of this. Like, I, I, I don't know the economics of ancient Israel um, before Christ. But I, I don't think lending, like there are institutions for lending. I don't think lending was, was widespread. I don't think Johnny Israelite was like, hmm, my wife has always wanted this new kitchen remodel. I'm going to take out a home equity line of credit. Like that wasn't, I don't think that was a thing back then. But who did need to borrow? The poor, the needy, those who didn't have. And so God in his law, you could read this in, in the Pentateuch, in his law, he says it's forbidden for anyone in Israel to lend and charge interest to another Israelite. And why is that the case? Because it's not like I'm going to upgrade my house, so I'm going to, I'm going to uh, borrow money. But rather, it's a, my family's hungry. I, I don't have clothes for my family. I am needy. I am in a hard spot. I need money. And so we could see there'd be a prohibition against charging interest because that's kind of a jerk move. Like, if you don't have money, I'm going to lend you money, and that money you need to pay me back more. I think the heart of God would be, why don't you just give him the money? or at least be generous with the lending. So the righteous man, the righteous man is not looking out for his own gain. He's not taking advantage of the poor and needy. And lastly, we see the righteous man doesn't take a bribe against the innocent, and they do not let greed lead them into sin. So if I were summarizing what we've read so far, is that the ideal worshiper seeks personal holiness. Who, who can come worship God the text says those who are holy and those who seek holiness. The ideal worshiper walks blamelessly. He does what is right and speaks truthfully. He doesn't slander, doesn't do evil to his neighbor, doesn't bring disgrace to his friend. He despises the vile and honor those who fear God. He is not greedy and he doesn't let greed dictate his treatment of others. 
mean, I'm, I'm so glad some God in his providence just makes things work sometimes. The, the Micah verse was, was awesome. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love righteousness, and walk humbly before your God? I mean, how is not, 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 not an encapsulation of everything we're reading here? So maybe you're hearing me preach this or you're reading in Psalm 15, and, and maybe this is an easy, easy list for you to read. Maybe it's a hard list. Uh, you might think, like, I've got this, like, easy peasy. I've done this all my life. I'm a good guy. Uh, but I'm reminded when I read a text like this uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. When, when Jesus says, when he's talking about, like, murder, he says, you've heard it said, you have heard that it like, I guess that's the right way to say it. Jesus is saying, like, you, you think that, oh, I, I'm not a murderer because I haven't killed anyone, but he's saying, well, you're kind of murdering that person in your heart. He goes on to say, talking about lust, he said, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So we look at this list and you think, well, I've never charged interest to someone who is, is needy. Um, I, I really don't slander. Um, you know, I've never, never printed an article that's been scathing against someone with untrue things. Um, you know, I've, I've not taken advantage of the poor and the needy. Uh, but Jesus brings keeping God's laws from the external to the internal. Not only what is going on on the outside that matters, but what is going on inside in our hearts. So we must not check these boxes, but we have to examine our hearts. Now, here's what I didn't want to do with this, this sermon, reading this text. Like, I kind of struggled with this. It, it, it took me a bit. Um, so I'm like, this is just like a, what am I going to do, preach a checklist? Like, I, I didn't want to just give a checklist. See, because I, maybe some of you are with me, like, I'm kind of a spring-loaded legalist. My bent, and that's to my shame, uh, but my bent is, I know I'm right before for God because of what Christ Jesus has done for me. But if, if I think, like, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that sometimes I'm like, well, if my behavior is a little better, God might love me a little more. Or if I just, you know, wasn't, was, wasn't angry as much or, or was, was kinder to my family, like God might be a, a, a little more approving of me. And that's not the gospel. There's something called the great exchange. Actually, I'm going to get ahead of myself. I'm, I'm going to talk about that in a second. I'm a spring-loaded legalist. So what I didn't want, what I didn't want to do was say, hey, Delta, here's this checklist. You guys better do this so that your worship is acceptable to the Lord. I'm reminded of... Uh, this was, I don't know if you guys remember Mad TV. I, I wasn't like a watcher of Mad TV, but I enjoy comedy. And there was a sketch where Bob Newhart uh, was playing a, like a counselor or a psychologist or a therapist. And this lady comes in. And he, he says, yeah, how can I help you? And she's like, I've got this fear. And he's like, okay, well, just I want to tell you a little bit about how I counsel people. It takes about five minutes and, and, and you're done. She's like, well, that's great. He said, okay, tell me about your fear. And she goes, well, I've just got this fear. I mean, I know it's irrational. I know it's crazy. I'm just so afraid of being buried alive in a box. And he's like, okay. He said, elaborate on that. She's like, I can't. I go through a tunnel. I think I might be buried alive. She just describes all these things. And he goes, okay. I, I think I understand you're afraid of being buried alive in a box. So uh, you know how Newhart does. He kind of stammers around. So I've, I've, got, I've got two words, two words for you. Just uh, 
You know, memorize these, take these, take these out of the office with you. And he said, I want you to listen closely, pay attention. He goes, okay, here are, here are the two words. And he goes, stop it. <laughs> she looks at him, he goes, stop it. That's all you need to do. You don't want to be buried alive in a box? Stop it. Don't be afraid of being buried alive in a box. And the, the skit goes on um, to where she elaborates on other fears. And he goes, stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box. So it uh, kind of comes, comes full circle. Now, I say that to say this. This is not like a stop it moment or a start it moment. I, just wanna, I don't want to bring that to you this morning. See, these verses talk about uh, the person who is the ideal worship of the Lord, but um, it's, a, it's a, lot, a lot harder than just stop it or start it or do this. So how do we live in light of these verses? Well, first and foremost, we have to remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. See, worship is changed from the original context. Psalms, the book of Psalms is in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ inaugurates the New Covenant or the New Testament. See, we are not accepted by God because of our own perfection or our own works. None of us are perfect. None of us are worthy of being accepted by God. Indeed, none of us are even worthy of worshiping God. No one not one of us. But the good news, Delta, is that though we are sinners by birth and though we're sinners by choice, though we, are, though we were enemies of God, God the Father in love, before we loved him, he loved us and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life. Jesus Christ was born. He lived a perfect life, keeping God's law his entire life. Never sinned, faced temptations just as we do. And in so doing, living a perfect life, he earned righteousness. And he was the perfect worshiper. Jesus Christ died a sacrificial and substitutionary death. Being sinless, he willingly died in the place of sinners. He bore God's wrath fully that you and I, the, the wrath you and I deserved. And God's wrath was satisfied. So that those who turn to Christ and place their trust in Christ are accepted by God. We are accepted by God. We're no longer enemies. We're his beloved, and we do not have a righteousness of our own. This is where I was talking about Christ earning righteousness. There's the great exchange. Jesus Christ dies on the cross bearing our sins. We gave our sins to him. What does Christ give us in return? He gives us all that righteousness that he has earned throughout his life. We call that, that the theological term for that is imputation. Our sins are imputed to Christ. He didn't deserve that. Christ's righteousness is imputed to our lives. We don't deserve that. That is the great exchange. So Christian, don't let your performance or even your feelings about your performance dictate your worship. If you are in Christ, you are accepted and your worship is accepted. So remember Jesus. Second, remember that if you're in Christ, you are not helpless in your pursuit of holiness. See, everyone, it's awesome that we're talking about this Sunday. This Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. For those of you who have a high church background, follow our church calendar, this is Pentecost Sunday. Everyone who has been born again has been filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples before he, he ascended into heaven, what did he tell them? He said, I'm going away, but I'm going to send you a helper. 
and the day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came. So we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit's power. We have His help. We have His assistance in living a God-honoring life of worship. We are not alone. When you try to live an upright and blameless life, know that you have help. And third, remember that on this side of glory, you will never be perfect in these things. No offense. You will never be perfect in these things. Psalm 15, there's things we can grasp, but to live this completely and perfectly like God would intend, it's going to elude us. So, do your best. Run to Christ. And when you fail in living the Christian life, fail forward, fail on Christ. Fall on Christ. Knowing that He loves you, He's paid for your sins. And He wants you to worship Him. So Delta, we see what God wants of us. We see what He desires from His worshipers. And my encouragement for you this morning, walk blamelessly and live rightly. Live godly lives and put forth the effort. So there's a great reward because I want us to look at how this psalm finishes. What is the last part of verse 5? He who does these things shall never be moved. He who does these things shall never be moved. You will be steady. You will be firm. You will not easily be moved. And second, rest in Christ's finished work. So I've been talking a lot about Christ and union with Christ and in Christ. Uh, if you don't know who Christ is, if you don't have a relationship with him, um, please turn to him. You, you can't accept, you, you can't go forward uh, to God with, without him. You need him. You're a sinner, no offense. You need a savior. If you have more questions about that, you can find myself after the sermon, Charles, someone else you came with. But my encouragement for you, if you're outside of Christ, you'd come to Christ this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for Psalm 15. Thank you for the challenges in there. I thank you for the introspection that you challenge us with in those verses. I pray that you would help us to live Psalm 15 out, that we, we would be good to others. We would not seek our own gain. We'd put others ahead of ourselves. And Lord, I, I thank you that the perfection you demand was satisfied in Christ Jesus, that he kept the law perfectly. And I thank you for sending him. I thank you that he lived that perfect life and died that death that I deserved, that we all deserved in our place. Lord, I pray that you would help us, help us to live upright, godly, and holy lives. Give us power and strength to do so. And Lord, when we do fail, when we do fall, would we fall on Christ? Would you reassure us of your love for us? God, I thank you for this time. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.